Chapter 38, Escapes and Returns. Down, down, the winding passage they went, through darkness and spider webs and dripping water, until at last they emerged into a cold wind, brilliant sunlight, and the sound of waves breaking on rocks. They were on the far side of the island, the side opposite the bridge. In the distance, a flat-bottomed motorboat lay beached on a strip of sand scarcely wide enough to accommodate it. Together, the little group scrambled through scrub brush and gravel down to the boat. Milligan dumped Mr. Curtin onto the sand, then began helping Rhonda and number two usher the children into the boat. Kate had just climbed over the gunwale with Rhonda and number two scrambling in after her when Sticky pointed and cried, he's getting away. Milligan whirled. Kate's rope lay in a tangle on the sand and Mr. Curtin was running with surprising swiftness back the way they'd come. Already he was almost to the secret passage. In an instant, Milligan had pulled out his tranquilizer gun and fired. But it was too late. Mr. Curtin had gone too far. The dart whizzed behind him just as he disappeared into the secret passage. It was a terrible misfortune. And for a moment, Milligan seemed his old grim self. With a severe expression, he turned back to the children. No time to chase him. My duty is to see you to safety. And for that, we must leave at once. Laying a hand on Kate's shoulder as he prepared to shove off, he murmured gently, remind me though, to teach you a better knot. What if Mr. Curtin stops Mr. Benedict before he can disable the whisperer? Sticky asked. We'll go into hiding, Rhonda said gravely. Those are Mr. Benedict's instructions. Milligan launched the boat and steered them out into the channel where the children eyed the rocks that jutted up here and there on all sides. Um, Milligan, aren't these waters supposed to be dangerous to navigate? Asked Rainey as the boat whizzed past a sharp rock, missing it by inches. Oh yes, fearsome dangerous, said Milligan with a smile. Many a boat has capsized here, but I haven't been secretly swimming in the channel every night for nothing. I know these rocks well. You've nothing to fear. The strange sight of Milligan's smile eased their fears of drowning, but it also chafed Constance, who blurted, How can you possibly smile, knowing Mr. Benedict is back there? He's sure to have been captured already, and now Mr. Curtin will see to it that he's killed. Don't fret, child, Milligan said, squinting against the spray as he steered their boat between two boulders. The mainland was rapidly approaching. I intend to return for him the moment I ferried you to safety. I would never abandon Mr. Benedict. But you won't stand a chance. You're injured and they'll be ready for you. Mr. Curtin will. The distraught girl was interrupted by the boats rushing up onto Sandy shore. Before she could continue, number two had carried her off to the waiting station wagon. The others quickly followed, and soon Rhonda Kazembe was cranking the ignition and pulling the car onto the road. Milligan sat near an open window with his tranquilizer gun at the ready. Just drop me near the bridge guardhouse, he directed Rhonda. Then take the children away. But Milligan, asked Dickie, how will you escape? 
For that matter, how did you ever escape in the first place? I remember that waiting room. There was no way out. No way but down, Milligan replied. I eventually realized that where there's mud, there's water. So an underground stream must run somewhere below the room. But, but how? No great matter, Milligan said. I had only to hold my breath a few minutes to dig down through the mud into the stream, drag myself upstream, then dig through more mud and, oh, about a foot of clay. After that, it was only a question of tearing out a few stones, prying apart a few boards, chiseling out some mortar, bending the bars of a metal grate, enough to squeeze through. That's how I broke my arm then incapacitating the guards and using their keys to unlock my shackles. Really, it's quite simple once you know the trick. The children blinked. More remarkable, Milligan went on, in a voice so happy he almost sang. More remarkable by far was what happened while I was doing it. Down there in the mud, holding my breath and digging away, I realized that the feeling I had that I must get back to you children, that I must reach you no matter what the cost, was exactly the same feeling I'd had when I first awoke out of blackness years ago with the name Milligan ringing in my mind. Thinking of this, I realized for the first time that it was a child's voice that had been saying my name. And just as this realization struck me, so too did the cold waters of the underground stream. And into my mind flashed an image of a mill pond, a lovely place, perfect for swimming. I could picture a girl swimming in that pond, so young it was hard to believe she could swim at all, much less splash and dive about like an otter. And in my mind's eye, I drew her near to me. I heard her laughing. And as I took her hand to lead her home, heard her ask me, Daddy, may we come to the mill again? To which I replied, Of course, Katie Cat, of course we'll come to the mill again. Mill again. Milligan. Do you see? It wasn't my name at all. It was my last unkept promise to my daughter. I had only to realize this, and all of my other memories came flooding back. The best moment of my life. He finished with an affectionate look at Kate beside him. Kate was trying to fight back tears and failing miserably. The station wagon was approaching the island bridge now. She'd been so thrilled to get her father back. Was she really expected to give him up again to another dangerous mission? Not just dangerous, hopeless. Nope, she wouldn't have it. And with a ferocity that surprised even her, she declared, you can't go, Milligan. I won't let you. How can you possibly leave me again? Milligan flinched as if he'd been stung, his own eyes suddenly brimming with tears. Oh, Katie, it's the last thing I want to do. But how can I possibly leave Mr. Benedict? Without him, we'd never have been reunited. Then I'm going with you. No, no, that would never do. It will have to do. Kate retorted fiercely as number two stopped the car near the guardhouse. Hush, both of you, cried Rainey, surprising everyone. He was pointing at the bridge, upon which now Mr. Curtin could be seen in his wheelchair racing toward them. 
An entire troop of recruiters ran alongside him, shaking their cuffs, their shock watches glinting in the sunlight. The rocketing wheelchair zigzagged recklessly, forcing the recruiters to jump this way and that to avoid being knocked aside. And the two recruiters in the guardhouse, who must have radioed the island the moment they spotted the station wagon, had come out to stare first at Mr. Curtin, then at the car, uncertain what was expected of them. Kate, I love you, but you must leave with the others, Milligan commanded. He reached for the door handle. Rhonda, see that she does. I will lure them off by heading back for the boat. Perhaps I can cut behind them. Number two, drive like a fiend and never look back. No, Rainey shouted just as forcefully, and Milligan checked himself with a start. Stay put, Milligan. Number two, don't drive away. Just trust me. Please trust me. We have to wait and see. It was a tense moment and a curious one too. For every person in the car, adult and child alike, realized just then that they trusted this 11-year-old boy quite without reservation. If Rainy Muldoon asked them to do something, if he promised them something, they would do what he asked and believe every word. Number two looked at Milligan, who looked back at her. He nodded. She nodded. They waited. At the near end of the bridge, Mr. Curtin came to a sudden screeching stop in his wheelchair, so sudden that he almost flew out of it, despite the straps, pointed at the station wagon and cried, It's a trick! Those are decoys! The others must still be on the island! The recruiters were scratching their heads. But, sir, one of them protested mildly, they look just like the ones we're after. Fool! Mr. Curtin shouted in his most terrible voice. Do you really believe that they would escape the island only to come right back to the bridge? These people are meant to distract us. Back to the island at once. That's an order. The recruiters flinched and spun on their heels. You too, he snarled at the recruiters in the guardhouse. Forget the decoys. We need all hands on the island. The recruiters saluted uncertainly and left their posts, hurrying to catch up with the others. For a moment, Mr. Curtin watched them go. Then, quickly unstrapping himself, he rose from the chair and trotted toward the station wagon. What's he doing? Rhonda said. Milligan lifted his tranquilizer gun and drew a bead on the man, now only a few yards away. Don't shoot, Rainey warned. Don't you see? It's Mr. Benedict. Milligan lowered the gun, amazed. Mr. Benedict's performance had been most convincing. In all their years together, he had never seen him look so angry or speak so unkindly. Thank you, Rainey, for saving me from the dot, said Mr. Benedict with a wink and a clipped version of his dolphin laugh. He paused with his hand on the door handle, having noticed that Mr. Curtin wasn't in the car. His eyebrows rose. But if my brother escaped, then how did you know who I was? How could you be sure? To be honest, Rainy replied, I knew it the moment I saw how badly you drove that wheelchair. Hmm, yes, it's one thing to snarl and bark orders, quite another to steer that wicked contraption. However, I do think I would have got the hang of it with just a bit of practice. We're very glad you're safe, sir, 
said number two from behind the steering wheel. But may we please leave now and save the congratulations for later? She was nervously eyeing the troop of recruiters who had realized their leader was not among them. One by one, they were turning to gawk and point at the station wagon. Some had started back across the bridge. By all means, number two, said Mr. Benedict, climbing into the car. Let us fly.